Well, after uh, a week off for Covenant Sunday, we are jumping back into our sermon series, Becoming Disciples, Following Jesus Through Matthew. Uh, So as we get ready to jump into our sermon this morning, I invite you to join me for a word of prayer. Loving God, uh, we are grateful uh, for the chance to to be together. Um, God, thank you for the gift of this community and uh, thank you for the gift of of one another. Uh, Now as we uh, turn to uh, open the scriptures and wrestle with them, we recognize that your spirit is here among us and uh, we yield ourselves to your spirit and we ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, inform us more and more into the way of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of our uh, family rhythms as of late has been to uh, go to the YMCA downtown. Uh, So they have child watch Monday through Thursday at 4 o'clock. And so uh, promptly at like 4.01, we show up with our children. 4.01, not to be too eager and show up at 4, right? And we drop our kids off and uh, Allie and I get a chance to go and do our thing. Now, this is a win-win-win across the board, right? Uh, It's a win for our kids because they love to be around other kids and they love Miss Cat, the one who uh, is the director of Child Watch. It's a win for us because we get to drop our kids off. But it's also a win for us because now that we are child-free, we can engage in some good, healthy uh, self-care and restorative practices like exercising, right? Win-win-win across the board. Now... uh, Pretty regularly, uh, as we pick up our kids and head out of the child watch, as we're heading out the front doors of the Y, so maybe you can imagine this uh, if you've been there, but you head out and there's a patch of green grass off to the right. And almost without fail, Pax is walking every day and he gives us one of these and looks and almost like, is this okay? But also like, I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyways. And takes off sprinting right into the middle of that green patch of grass and sticks his hands out and has this big boyish grin and goes ha 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 forever. And I, as a good Midwestern white male, stand there very stoically, smiling, trying to encourage this delight in him, right? And after a few minutes I say, come on buddy, we gotta go home, we gotta make dinner so we can get you to bed, right? Now, on one of these particular days a couple weeks ago, uh, I was thinking about this experience and like the delight on his face. And as I was laying in bed, I, I thought, when was the last time I felt that kind of joy? And, and you know that feeling like when your heart kind of drops out of like, oh, it's been a while, hasn't it? But then that thought was quickly followed by another thought that like, not just made my heart drop, but like my heart like fall off of a cliff. Because the thought that I had was, oh, it's been a while because I've learned that I need to protect myself from joy. Think about that phrase, protect myself from joy. Like I wanted to get, like I I, I got nauseous in that moment, right? This, This thought of like, there's this deeply human thing of joy. And yet, like I feel like I need to protect myself from it. And it makes sense, right? I mean, somewhere along the line, like, I, I, I've experienced joy, but then I picked up the bumps and bruises, the scrapes, the, the scars, the, the scabs, the calluses on the other side of it. And I've learned that the joy is something that's, that's dangerous, right? The joy is something that I need to distance myself from. The joy is something that I need to protect myself from. And as I think back over my life, like, I think this impulse to protect myself from joy makes sense, right? I mean, like, I had the experience of, of losing my parents at 15 and 17. Like the, these people that you always just assume will always be there in your life, the sense of joy perhaps in your life, and gone like that. 
But I've also had it in like the small insignificant things in life too. Like when I've bought a product that I've really wanted and two weeks later it breaks and all of the joy goes away with it like that too, right? And that becomes like a bit of like death by paper cuts to our joy. And somewhere along the way we recognize that, that joy is this thing that we can't trust and joy is something that we need to protect ourselves from. Now I think we all have this sort of impulse within us. And I don't think it's just with joy. But I think that there's all of these sorts of like deeply human elements that we have within our life that um, for whatever reason, like we've experienced some sort of bumps and bruises, scrapes and scabs and scars and calluses along the way that we felt like we need to protect ourselves from them. So perhaps it's protecting ourselves from joy or perhaps it's protecting ourselves from love or perhaps it's protecting ourselves from contentment or perhaps it's protecting ourselves from hope. See, somewhere along the way, we discover that there are these things that make us deeply human, but these are things that also make us deeply vulnerable. And because we've experienced the bumps, the bruises, the scrapes, the scabs, the scars, the, the calluses along the way, we've learned that we have to distance ourselves from these things that make us deeply human. And we've learned that we need to protect ourselves, if you will, from being human. Now, one of the ways uh, that our tradition uh, has sought to... Uh, make sense of this impulse to, to protect ourselves from being human goes all the way back to the beginning of our scriptures in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we see uh, Adam and Eve, who are the, the first humans, and there's this talking serpent that comes to them and, and is tempting them, trying to, to pervert all that God has told them. Lots has been said about that, so we'll fast forward to the part after where they take of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, in this at this point, we're told after they eat from it that then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Now after this in the story, we're told that God is out for an evening stroll through the evening as apparently God did regularly and is calling out for them, Adam, Eve, I don't see you, where are you? And then after a while, we're told that Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now God's response is similar to that response when I, when I had this thought of like, I protect myself from joy because God looks at them and says, who told you that you were naked? I recognize that within this story um, uh, that like our default status as human beings was, was nakedness. Um, you can choose to read this literally. I think it's much more fascinating, much more compelling to read it metaphorically. Like it's not just simply that we were without clothes, but our, 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 state, our status as human beings were naked. It was exposed. It was vulnerable. It was this openness. And yet in that moment when they took a, a bite of that fruit, they learned that this sense of being human wasn't something that they could trust, that it was something that they had to be afraid of, something that they had to be ashamed of, and they began to protect themselves from being human. And my friends, we continue to protect, our, and so they began to hide themselves and began to cover themselves up with fig leaves. And my friends, from this point on, we as human beings have continued to hide ourselves from our own sort of humanness. We've continued to hide ourselves from God, and we've continued to hide ourselves from others. Now, some of the ways that we continue to cover ourselves up with fig leaves is to protect ourselves from our humanity, is to make ourselves bigger than human, right? 
And we do this through uh, acts of like pride and a pursuit of the ego to say that I'm bigger than human, that I'm more than human, that I can't be brought down because I'm bigger than human. But we also do this by making ourselves less than human (laughs) through things like uh, self-destruction and self-deprecation, the sense of like, if I can cut myself down before anybody else does, maybe it won't hurt quite as bad. And so from this point on, we've continued to cover ourselves up with fig leaves, continued to hide. Our default status was naked, exposed, vulnerable, human. And from that point on, we've continued to protect ourselves from being human. Now we fast forward from Genesis chapter 3 all the way up to the time of Jesus. And we recognize that uh, in Jesus' time, this is still our default MO, to cover ourselves up, to hide behind these fig leaves. And what strikes me with Jesus' life and his ministry is... um, Jesus doesn't seem too interested in like trying to manage our hiddenness, right? Like never once do we see a teaching of like three ways to hide less, three ways to drop your fig leaves, right? Like Jesus doesn't seem too interested in managing this, but rather what Jesus seems to be doing is inviting us into an entirely different way of being human. And so we pick up the story in Matthew chapter five. And in Matthew chapter five, we're launching into perhaps three of the most important uh, parts of scripture Uh, that we have, um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the Sermon on the Mount is, uh, as one author describes it, a beginner's guide to the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) Uh, And what we see in the Sermon on the Mount is like this intimate uh, teaching of like what we're being invited into with this life of God. And when I say what we are being invited into, I don't mean like you and me individually, but kind of collectively in the same room. Like I mean us as a community, Like us collectively, like somehow as we step into this life of God, we are forged together in an inseparable bond. That this is something that is happening to us as the community of Christ. And this is what we are being invited into together. And so Jesus begins uh, this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount with uh, what we call the Beatitudes. This list of sayings. What I wish I could do is go through each one and like sit with them and reflect upon them. We just don't have time for that, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read them, and then I'm going to say like a word about each one of them. And then with the rest of the time that we have left, I want to sit with like, what do we do with this as like a core thing? Like the Beatitudes as a whole. Like what do we, what do, we do in light of that? Sound good? All right. So uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Uh, so uh, Jesus has gone up a mountain with his disciples, and they sit down. He sits down. He begins to teach to them. But the, but the crowd is in the background, right? And they're kind of listening in like you do at a coffee shop when there's an interesting conversation next door. Like, yeah, I'll do it. Okay, just don't judge me. Embrace it, right? So uh, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3, we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know what your experience is with uh, um, the Beatitudes, but when I, when I read them or hear them, like something within me like, wants to open up. But I can never like, quite put my finger on it, right? My default MO when I don't understand something is like I turn to my best friends, my books, and I like read about it and think about it. 
And in uh, studying for uh, today, I, I found myself in a book called The Sermon on the Mount by a Jewish New Testament scholar named Amy Jill Levine. And as she's reflecting on the Beatitudes, she says, like, there's this traditional understanding of the Beatitudes that says that Jesus was talking about himself. Like, all of these things that we see within the Beatitudes, like, Jesus was talking about his own self. Like, this is, these are the attributes of who Jesus is. But she notes, like, this wouldn't have been the case for the, early, the, for, for the original hearers of this, for the first disciples. They didn't know that about Jesus, right? But instead, she notes that they, meaning the disciples, understood him to be talking about the human condition. Meaning that that's something that, that Jesus is saying here in the Beatitudes seems to be some sort of commentary about the human experience. Oh, well, there's something, something there. So keep that in mind as we, we uh, go through each of these Beatitudes quickly. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. These are people who recognize that they are not where they are because of their own strength. It's some sort of idiom, uh, uh, some sort of saying, right? These are people who recognize that there were all sorts of people and perhaps even a system that brought them to where they are, and they aren't afraid to acknowledge it. These are, this is like the antithesis of like the pull yourselves up by your bootstrap mentality, right? Then he says, blessed are those who mourn. These are people who have loved and have loved deeply and have lost and are like willing to embrace that, 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 that sort of experience. These are also people who look around and see all of the injustice and all of the brokenness around us and are willing to like grieve that. He says, blessed are the meek. Um, these are people who perhaps have some sort of privilege or some sort of power or some sort of authority, but don't like lord it over people, but rather submit and serve them. Um, I've heard it described as like the, what's that called? A bit that goes on a horse's mouth that takes this monstrous beast and now allows it to like serve a human, right? Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who have this deep sense of longing within them to see the world be set right. And even within them, within themselves, blessed are the merciful. Those who recognize like things happen, right? <laughs> We're all human. We stumble from time to time and extend mercy. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart. Those who have like a childlike sense of wonder and awe within them. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who are willing to stand in the gap, perhaps abandoning their own tribe in order to like bring things together and make things right and whole again. And then blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake and on Jesus's account. Blessed are you or blessed are those who are willing to like risk everything to put the world back to rights. Now we look at this list and we come back to that quote from A.J. Levine, who says that this was like him talking about the human condition, the human experience. And I think that that makes sense to me. And I think that the reason why something deep within my soul opens up is because I look at this list and I recognize that there's something good and beautiful and holy and sacred about this, that, that perhaps there's something within this list that deep down within me knows that like, this is what it means to be human, that this is what we were created for, to live into this, to experience it into its fullness. But then right behind that awareness is this recognition that if we lean into this, if we lean into this sort of posture in humanity, that this leaves us exposed, <laughs> that this leaves us vulnerable, that this leaves us naked in some sort of way. And so because we have lived the lives that we live, we pick up the bumps, the bruises, the scrapes, the scars, the calluses along the way, and we begin to distance ourselves from these things. And we begin to protect, or we begin to protect ourselves from being human. <laughs> and it seems as though like what Jesus is saying here is like within this community that he's forming, within this new thing that God is doing, 
You don't have to keep hiding. You don't have to keep covering up with the fig leaves. You don't have to keep protecting yourselves from being human. Because within this new thing that God is doing, within this community of Jesus, within this kingdom of God that's taking root on earth as it is in heaven, it's good to be human. Not human in all the ways that leave us broken and bruised. Not all of the the ways of being human that seek to, to build ourselves up with pride or on this ego sort of trip. Not all of the ways that we break ourselves down through self-deprecation uh, or self-destruction. But it's good to be human in light of the Beatitudes. It's good to embrace all of the exposed vulnerableness that is to be human. And it's almost as if what Jesus is saying is the best way to be human is to be human. <laughs> to stop hiding to stop covering ourselves up with our fig leaves, to stop pursuing all of these false ways of being human, but to drop that and to lean into the fullness of what it means to be human, to, 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 uh, to lean into the Beatitudes, to experience the, the fullness that it is, the good, and even the acknowledgement of mourning and pain and all of that, because all of that is part of what it means to be human, and to lean into that is to be exposed, to be vulnerable, but that's what it means to be human. At one point in my life, uh, I had an opportunity uh, before me, and uh, as soon as I began to think about it, it wasn't like imposter syndrome started like whispering. It was like imposter syndrome like flooded me. And uh, I was talking to a good friend and mentor of mine about it, and I was like, I just don't know how to show up in this space. <laughs> and he said, I will tell you what my wife tells me time and time again. The best way for you to show up in this space is to be you. Not to try to hide who you are, not to try and cover up, but to show up in like the fullness of who you are, the way that God has made you, the way that God has wired you with all of your unique gifts and talents and perspectives and perhaps even your weaknesses. Like don't try to hide that, don't try to cover that up because the best way for you to show up is to be you. And I think in some way that this is what Jesus is getting at with, this, with the Beatitudes. That within this new thing that God is doing, the best way for us to show up is to be ourselves. That within this, this community that God is forming around the life and the teachings of Jesus, the best way to be human is to be human. And as we as individuals are leaning into this, learning to trust that this is the best way to be human, we recognize that we don't do this on our own, but that we do this within the confines of the community of the body of Christ. And as we are learning to embrace what it means to be naked, what it means to be exposed, what it means to be vulnerable, we trust that everybody else around us is doing it too. So it's not just us showing up naked. It's not just us showing up exposed. It's not just us showing up vulnerable, waiting for everybody else to take advantage of us. But it's us collectively together making movements to stop hiding, to drop our fig leaves, and to show up in this vulnerable state together. And perhaps when we begin to do that and look around, we begin to get a glimpse of what it looks like for heaven to take root on earth. So uh, this is I, what I want to suggest to us uh, as a practice this week. Um, and it's really simple. Uh, let's just read the Beatitudes. <laughs> let's engage with the Beatitudes. Like you can't get much better than the, the wisdom of Jesus, right? 
And uh, I know that this was in the bulletin last week to do this week, but you know, the, the, the Beatitudes have enough wisdom to last at least two weeks, right? So I think we can do this again. But what I want to suggest is like, find a meaningful way of engaging with this. Um, perhaps your life is such that like, you can read through this quickly before kids come tearing down the steps and chaos ensues, right? Um, maybe you have some space in your life that you can take 15, 30 minutes and like, slowly, prayerfully read through them. Uh, perhaps you have these things memorized and on your evening walk you just think about it, right? But what I want to suggest is as we, we engage with this in a meaningful way, that we invite uh, God's spirit to like, show up in this space. And ask the Spirit to like shine a light on the places um, where perhaps we're resistant to it. We're like, ooh, that, that, feels, that feels a little tender, right? And to begin to shine a light on the places where we are hiding and the places where we are covering up with fig leaves. And when we find that, like, don't, don't do what Adam and Eve did. Like, don't shame yourself, right? But allow yourself to get a little curious with it. So maybe like, you're like, oh, I have trouble like acknowledging that I didn't get here by my own effort. <laughs> why? Like, why do I feel like I have to buy into this mentality that I pulled myself up by my bootstraps? Like, what, what happened? And maybe you begin to go, oh, that's what I was told. Or, oh, that's what I saw. Or, oh, that's this cultural thing that's called America that we find ourselves swimming in, right? And then maybe we ask the Spirit to like, lead us and guide us into a space where we can have the courage to step forward out from behind the bushes, to drop our fig leaves and begin to walk in the fullness of what it means to be human. And then let's see what happens, yeah? My friends, the best way to be human is to be human. Not to keep hiding, not to keep covering ourselves up with fig leaves, not to keep uh, pursuing pride and ego, not to keep cutting ourselves down through self-destruction or self-deprecation. But the best way to be human is to be human. So let's come out from hiding. Let's drop our fig leaves together. Amen.